Amen. And a great weekend uh, that our students have had together. And I'm so, I'm so happy. Are you, are you happy that they led worship today? Yeah. Amen. And there's over 100 students sitting here. And I, guys, can I just take a selfie with you? All right, let's do that. Okay, here we go. Say one weekend. All right. Well, we started a series last week called Go Great, and, and we talked about these two great sayings, the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, and we unpacked the Great Commission, and we talked about how the Great Commandment relates to it. In reality, the rest of the series, we're going to be unpacking what that means as we are disciples and as we're becoming disciple makers. And so uh, we, we want, in fact, to take these two great sayings of Jesus, these two great sayings, the great commandment, the great commission, and we're divided them into three dimensions, the, the up, the in, and the out, or uh, it's going to be subdivided into great communion, great community, and great commission. And so we talked about how Jesus had an up dimension in his life. He was in, in communion with the Father. And then he had an in dimension of his life where he poured into the lives of the disciples. And then he had an out dimension where he touched the world. And so another way of saying that, because we want to imitate Jesus, we want to, we want to follow him in that way, is to have great communion, great community, and then live out the Great Commission out of that. And so we're focusing during this couple of Sundays on the Great Communion piece. In other words, the up dimension of the disciples' life. And last Sunday, as we looked at Matthew 28, 18 to 20, we were invited to follow Jesus. And one of the things that he says that we ought to follow him into is baptism. And we said baptism is a literal water baptism, but it is a symbol of something greater, of something deeper and richer. Water baptism points to the invitation to be immersed in the Trinity every day. That you and I as disciples of Jesus Christ will be completely immersed in the person of God on a daily basis. That's why today I've titled the message, Abide. Abide is another word for expressing this communion, for, for talking about this up dimension. It is about remaining in God's presence on a continual basis. It's about pressing in and staying connected with God, not just on Sundays, not just on one weekend, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and so on. And so the text this morning is found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. It's just one verse, but it comes from a rich passage of scripture we call the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is teaching here his disciples. He's teaching them what it means to be a disciple and how to live that life. So Matthew 6, 6 talks to us about this up dimension, this abiding in him. He says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who sees what is done in secret. Let, let me start again. When you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus is wanting to teach his disciples the father's heart for this private prayer. The father's heart for, for communion. 
It's in contrast with the mainstream understanding of the religious people of the day. The religious people of the day thought of prayer as a way to impress others. They thought, if I can learn how to pray in such a way, if I can learn how to worship in such a way that other people will say, wow, that guy is good. Look at him, the way that he prays, the way that he worships, the way that he performs religious duties. It's impressive. But Jesus tells us here that what God values is the kind of private prayer that leads to integrity, to intimacy, and to identity. And I'm going to talk about those three. Integrity, intimacy, and identity. First, private prayer enables integrity. Jesus tells us here that our uptime is a private affair. The up dimension of our lives takes place in a secret place. The most important part of your spiritual life is what God sees, not what others see. Now, what others see is important, but what is most important is what God sees on the inside. Now, think of an iceberg. If you've ever seen the picture of an iceberg or in a movie, or, or maybe you've been close to one if you've been on one of those cruises, you know it's a beautiful, impressive uh, block of ice in the middle of the ocean. But do you know that, that what you see is only literally the tip of the iceberg? That under that tip that is visible above the surface, there is a greater mass that is sustaining it. That, that what you see is not all that there is. That what you see is sustained, but what cannot be seen. And, and when it comes to our spiritual life, what others see ought to be sustained, but what cannot be seen by others. But what happens in the secret place, but, but what happens in the private place of worship. That's why Jesus says here, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. See, the, the religious people of Jesus' day wanted to flaunt their spirituality. They wanted others to see it. They wanted to impress people. They were religious show-offs. They were saying, look at me. Look, look, look at how well I pray. They were in public places, and, and, and they would work on, on their wording and, and the way that they would stand and, and the way that they would say it, looking for the approval and the admiration of the people. And you know what Jesus calls them? He calls them hypocrites. Look at verse 5 of Matthew 6. It says, and when you pray, when you, a disciple of Jesus, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. When your prayer and worship is done to impress others, you will tend to be dishonest. If you're living your religious life, if you're living your faith so that others will think that you're a really good Christian, then you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in trouble because your focus will be on your image and you'll either give up because you can't keep it up or you'll start to fake it. You'll start to be dishonest so that others will think well of you and that you have it together. But what Jesus is saying here to you and me is he's saying, hey, let's keep it real. Just, just come to a private place 
where, where no one else can see or hear what you and I are talking about. Go, go into your room, go into your closet, go into that corner of the living room where nobody hangs out, go, go into the backyard, go, go to that little corner at Starbucks and put your earphones on. That, that's where you can be and not worry about what anybody else is thinking or saying. When you don't have to worry about what anyone else is watching or hearing, then you can be fully honest with God and with yourself. See, in the private place, you can be transparent. You don't have to pretend. God knows you. He knows your heart. And he wants you to see from his perspective. So that's why private prayer, private prayer enables integrity. Integrity begins in the inner room. If, if you want the tip of the iceberg of your spiritual life to, to be something that shows integrity, then you need to begin in the inner room, in the secret place. You see, your public worship, what we're doing here is public worship. This, this that we're doing here today is an extension of your private worship. Your external fruit is the product of your internal faith. Some really smart theologian said something like this, you is what you ooze. You is what you ooze. That means that whatever comes out of you is what's inside of you. So, so if you want what comes out of you to be good, then make sure that what's inside is good. And the way you do that is by being with the Lord. Here at, at Calvary, we define a disciple by what she is and what she does what he is and what he does. We say like this, a disciple is someone who is learning to be like Jesus and learning to do what Jesus would do. It's not either or, it's both and. It's about character and it's about competency. It's about the external life and it's about the internal life. It's about the faithfulness and it's about the fruitfulness. It's about being and about doing. And to be like Jesus, we need to be with Jesus. We start in a private place of worship. That's where integrity begins. It allows us to connect with God in genuine communion. Secondly, personal worship fosters intimacy. Our uptime is supposed to be an intimate time. The up dimension of discipleship is, is where you can know God and God, you can be known by God. And, and so this communion with God fosters intimacy. <clears throat> Here in our text, Jesus teaches us that God delights in one-on-one -on -one fellowship with us. God delights in one-on-one -on -one fellowship with us. You know, you might think we like big crowds. We like to see a lot of people in church. I love this. I, I love the students. And, and, and I know God is pleased with us here. But you know, God doesn't have to have a crowd to enjoy your presence. He just wants one-on-one fellowship with us. God desires for our heart to connect with his heart in, in a loving relationship. That's why he says, go into your room, close the door, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Closing the door to your prayer closet is a way of saying, this is time for just God and me. This is not time for Bible study. This is not group time. This is not time to impress others with my devotional. This is not time for texting. It's not time for watching TV. 
It's not time to be on social media. It's FaceTime with God. It's time for God and me to be together. It's like a date. You know, last week was Valentine's and, and uh, my wife and I, were, one of the things we enjoy doing is we enjoy hanging out with other people. And so what we did for Valentine's is, is we hosted people at our house. In fact, we hosted people several times that week and we really have a good time doing that. We enjoy hanging out with others. But I'm smart enough to know that that couldn't replace a date with my wife. That, that I needed to make time to just be with her. And so we did at the end of the week uh, then we set time aside and, and we went out, just, just Monica and me, and we sat across the table and, and we looked at each other and uh, how, how beautiful she is and I hope she thinks that I'm getting better looking by the day. <laughs> she doesn't say it, but I know she's thinking it. <laughs> and we ordered the food that we wanted and and we, we talked, we talked about important things and we talked about things that are not so important, but we just enjoyed being with each other. Then we went out and watched a movie. And after the movie, we went and got rolling ice cream. You know that rolling ice cream, that Thai thing, uh, you get different flavors. And we just sat there and just enjoyed our ice cream and enjoy hanging out with one another. Because we love hanging out with people. We love parties, we love fellowship, but we need time that is just us too. And the same thing applies to our relationship with God. It's good to go to a Bible study. It's good to go to church. It's good to hang out with other believers. I hope you're doing that, but, but it's important that you make time to just be with God. It's like a date. Calvin Miller was my spiritual formations professor in seminary. He was a prolific author, and, but he had this little paperback uh, book that he wrote and it was called Table of Inwardness. Table of Inwardness. And it was based on Psalm 23, 5, where, where the psalmist says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. And that's the table of inwardness. Inwardness is the picture of a God who has set a, a dinner table up to sit across the table from you. Say, I've served dinner so that you and I could have a spiritual dinner, can, can be together in, in this time. God desires to do that. That's incredible to me that the God of the universe would want to have a date with me. That's really hard for me to imagine, but, but it's what the scripture says. You know, I was reading this week in my devotion, I'm reading through 1 Kings and I was reading about King Solomon and the dedication of the temple. He built this, this incredible temple. And, and when he dedicated the temple, the Bible says that, that the glory of God filled the temple in such a way that the priests couldn't do their job. They, they couldn't perform the services at the temple because the glory of God was so thick there. And when I was reading that, I thought, man, that, that must have been an incredible experience. And then I realized that, that now, today, the temple is not in Jerusalem. The temple is in my heart. That today, the Holy Spirit lives in me. That the same glory of God that, that was displayed at the temple in Jerusalem that was so thick and rich, and awesome is the glory of God that's available to me 
in my heart. Any day that God has set a table up for me so that I can sit and dine with him. In Revelation 3.20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. The Father wants to have a spiritual meal with you. And when you go into your prayer closet, you close the door to everyone else, make sure you open the door to Jesus because he wants to feast with you. Now, I know people do different things for devotional. Some people read a little devotional book. Some people just listen to a Christian song. Some people open the scriptures. And, and I want to say, you know what? You know, there's different kinds of breakfast, right? You can have spiritual cereal if you want. But if you want chorizo con papas, <laughs> you know, if you want bacon and eggs, you know, if you want a cute taco, then open the scriptures. Don't settle for just cereal. You know, before I eat my breakfast and before I rush to the office, I want to make sure that I slow down enough to stop and, and just be with the Father. I want to enjoy his presence. And everybody is different. I know there are morning people and there are night owls. And here's the thing about spending time with God. Don't worry about God's schedule. He's awake 24 hours. He's always open, 24-7. So don't worry about his schedule. But, but the way I do it, you know, it's I like to start my morning. And so what I do in the morning is I get up and I brush my teeth. And then I go downstairs and I make myself a 16-ounce cup of pour-over coffee. Now, that's a slow process. I grind the beans and quietly, you know. And, uh, and, and then I pour the coffee. It's slow because... For me, it's my way of saying, you need to pace yourself. I don't want to rush my time with God. He's the most important thing in my life. So I finish making my cup of coffee. The cat's bothering me, so I give him some food, so you leave me alone. And then I go outside in my backyard. If the weather's nice, and it often is, I go outside and I sit in my backyard. And as the morning light is breaking through, the grass is getting greener and brighter, and the trees are beautiful, the birds are chirping, and there's a little breeze. I like to think the breeze is God's presence. And I just sit there and I thank God. I thank for his blessings. I thank him for what happened the day before. I thank him for a new day. And then I take time to just breathe in. I take some deep breaths. And I try to process the fact that God is enjoying fellowship with me that he loves me and that he's right there and I love him back and after a time of praise and then I open the scriptures and I say God speak to me to the scriptures I need a word from you today and, I, and I, I'm reading the scriptures and I'm trying to listen to God's word to God's voice and, and he speaks to me and I meditate on that and I say God I know you want to do this in my life today so, so do it I open my heart Sometimes I journal and I write down what I feel God is telling me and, and what I feel God is wanting me to do. And then I pray and I intercede for people in my life, for people that I know that are hurting, that are struggling for the challenges of the day. And by the time I know it, it's been over an hour. And I wish I could stay there longer, but I got appointments to make. But an enjoyable time in the presence of God. 
One of the guys in my huddle this week shared a text with us through a group text, uh, and it was from Zephaniah 3.17. And, and I found it really uh, on point. It, it reads like this. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you, and his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. And I thought about that verse. Is it possible that God takes delight in me and he rejoices over me with singing? That when you hang out with God, that when you make time to be alone with God, that God is singing about that? He's singing over you. Say, hey, I don't know what song it is, but it's something about his child and, and, and how much he loves you and what he's done in your life. Singing over you. When I, my, my kids were teenagers, I would uh, sometimes check on them and they weren't at home and I would text or call them and I said, hey, what are you doing? You know the first answer? It was just hanging out. And I, I wanted to know who they were with or what they were doing. What are you doing? Just hanging out. Sometimes they were eating pizza. Sometimes they were playing video games. Sometimes they were having, you know, Starbucks or whatever. But they always said hanging out because I, I got the sense that for, for them at that point, the activity wasn't as important as the friends they were with. They were just enjoying. Whether they were playing video games or just sitting there and being silly, they were hanging out. And you know what? God wants to hang out with you. He just wants to hang out. He just wants to be with you. I wonder if you let him. We've been asking people uh, this month about their, their time alone with God, and, and I want to share two of those testimonies, one from uh, one of our students and the other one from one of our dads here at church. Listen to their testimony about time alone with God. Um, hi, my name is Claudia. Um, I was saved in one weekend three years ago. I've been coming to Calvary for six years, but we've been members in this church for two years. Hi, my name is Jeff. I got saved when I was 17 years old in high school. I got baptized a few weeks uh, after that. And I started coming to Calvary in 2013, Easter Sunday of 2013. Um, I definitely spend time with God. Um, it's a thing that I have to do because if I don't, I don't feel full. I don't feel happy. I feel stressed throughout my day. And that's something that I don't, I'm not looking for. Um, I don't really have a schedule or like I said, it's something that I need to do, so I do it, but it's um, at random times during the day. For example, maybe on my way to school in the mornings, because I really need it, because in the mornings I'm a mess. Um, it could be at night, before eating, when I'm sitting in class, so it doesn't really have a specific time. It consists of me, my talk with God, um, of music. Honestly, it's a touch of everything. Um, sometimes I just hear music, sometimes I do devotionals, other times I read a Bible. I try to spend time with God daily, um, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. And I find when I do start my day or spend time uh, uh, reading the Bible, uh, meditating on scripture, that it has a big difference in how my day goes. It's as if my mind is, is clear because it's focused on the things that it should be, on my on the priorities it should be focused on. Uh, and when I don't, when I prioritize other things, I do see it having an adverse effect on my on my day.
cool to hear how other people have time alone with God every day. I'm sure you have your story. And this leads us to the third thing having to do with identity, that our persistent communion affirms our identity. Our identity is affirmed in the quiet place. It is in the prayer closet that we're reminded of who we are and whose we are. It is there that the Father affirms your identity. What is it that defines you? Is it what you do? Is it your profession? Is it your past failures? Is it your successes? Is it your academic standing? Is it your participation in the sport? Is it who you hang out with? Is it your political views? Is it your theology? What defines you? The religious people of Jesus' day sought their identity in their religious image. They thought they were what they did on the outside. And some of them were trying to impress people, but some of them maybe were not trying to impress people. Instead, they were trying to impress God. They thought, you know, maybe God will notice what a good Christian I am. You know, I, I, I seek him, I pray, I worship, I give. I, I do good things and maybe God will say, man, that guy is good. They were trying to get God's approval because they mistakenly thought that, that, that somehow you have to earn the right to be heard by God. And, and Jesus says, no, 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 you have it all wrong. That's what people out there think. Look at what verse 7 of Matthew 6 says. It says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. He says, people who don't know God, they think that they need to say a lot. They think they need to have long prayers and repeat them and babble on and, and babble on and babble on so that maybe God will pay attention to them. They define themselves by their prayer performance. They say, if I perform well enough, then God will maybe pay attention to me. The sad thing is that if you find your identity in your performance, then when you mess up, you'll feel like a nobody. If you found your identity in being good, then when you cannot be good, you fall apart. So what... Jesus is saying to us is that in the secret place, God reminds us of our identity. Notice how many times in our passage, the word father is repeated. Pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret. And then he continues to teach on prayer in verse 8. He says, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And then he's about to teach them how to pray in verse 9. says, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. Do you think that Jesus was just being repetitious, saying, Father, 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 Father? Do you think that was just a coincidence? Or do you think he's saying something? Of course he's saying something. He's saying to them, it is when you pray in private, it is when you seek God in the secret place that you'll remember that your identity is a child of God, a child of the heavenly father. You're not who you hang around with. You're not about the way you dress. You're not about the music you listen to. 
You're not about the things you do. You are a child of God. That's what defines you. A father-son relationship. God's not a spectator in a stadium waiting to be impressed by your performance. He's not a client or a contractor saying that you have to meet all these requirements before I can do my part for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you have trusted in him, then God is your heavenly father who loves you unconditionally. Unconditionally. Your identity is not your performance, it's your position as the child of God. This past weekend, in one of the huddles where I get to be a part of, there was someone who was confessing uh, something that they had done wrong and, and they were really broken. Uh, and, and in fact, they were crying and they were saying, I'm sorry, multiple times. They were just beating themselves up and, and someone else in the huddle said, hey, we're family. It, it, it was a way to remind that brother, hey, you're not in a court of law. We're not your attorneys or your judges. We're not people who are wondering if you have breached the contract. We're brothers and sisters. We're family. And we'll get through things together. Your identity is as a child of God and as a brother and sister of all the children of God. And it makes a whole lot of difference when you understand what that means. I believe that it's part of what Jesus means here by reward. Did you notice that Jesus talks about a reward for the religious people of the day, different from a reward for the disciples? Look at, look at verses five and six again. It says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received what? Their reward in full. Verse six, but when you pray, go into your room, Close the door and pray to your father who's unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There's a difference between the reward of the religious people who were seeking to impress and the disciples of Jesus Christ. And here's the difference. They were seeking the admiration of others. And Jesus says, well, they got their reward. You know what their reward was? His people said, Wow, you're a super Christian. You're a super spiritual person. I'm so impressed with you. And Jesus says, that's your reward. You're welcome. It's a short-lived, superficial reward. But those who seek God in the secret place find their reward in being loved by the Father now and forever. That's the kind of reward I want. I want to be in the place where I know I'm loved always, always, always unconditionally now and tomorrow and next year and for eternity. That's the reward I want is the assurance of God's unconditional love. And when you understand that, then you can serve God with freedom. Then whatever God calls you to do as a disciple, you can do it because your identity is taken care of. You don't have to worry about proving your identity. You don't have to worry about impressing God. You don't have to worry about impressing others. You know who you are. And so you live it out. It is from the great communion that you can have great community and that you can have the great commission in your life. 
It is in the up dimension that you find the power, the identity to live out the in and the out dimensions of your life. What you do as a disciple is not so that you can impress others or so that you can earn God's favor. What you do as a disciple is because of who you are as a child of God. That's the difference between religion and relationship. That's the difference between status quo Christianity and great spirituality. Which one do you want? Which one do you want? Abiding is about integrity, about intimacy, and about identity. And we find that in private worship. Whatever you call it, abiding, communion, quiet time, time alone with God, coffee with Jesus, the table of inwardness, whatever you call it, do it and enjoy it. Enjoy it. Go great. Engage in great communion. Now, I want to ask you in closing and talking about application, I want to ask you to consider how you can engage in great communion this week. And if you haven't done this, then, then maybe you'll do it. If you've already done it, then great. But set a specific time to meet with God. You know, we, we set appointments for everything. We know what time we'll, we go to class. We know what time we go to the gym. We know what time we go to the doctor. We know what time we eat. We know what time our favorite show comes on. Set a time to be with God. Set a specific time. It's important that you do that. I know you can meet with God at any time or any day, but, but it helps you get a rhythm and, and be consistent with it. And then set a specific place. Now, I know it's good to change it up every once in a while, but, but you know, uh, it's good to have a specific place that you say, this is, Jesus, this is where I'm going to meet you every day. It may be your bed. It may be a comfy chair. It, it, it may be a corner somewhere, but you said, this is the place where I'm going to set aside. And once in a while, I'm going to change it up. I'm going to go walking in the park, and I'm going to talk to Jesus, or, or I'm going to go somewhere else, but, but this is my usual place. And then have a specific plan. What are you going to do? Is it going to be, are you going to set aside 15 minutes or 30 minutes or one hour? How much time are you going to set aside? And then think about what you're going to do with that time. For me, as I've shared with you, it's a time of worship, a time of reading, a time of reflecting, and then a time of prayer. I'm reading through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And so sometimes I'll read two or three chapters and I'll just meditate during the day. Sometimes I read one chapter and I journal. Well, whatever your plan is, have a plan. Have a plan because it's an important time. Would you bow your head with me? Father, I thank you for your invitation to abide, for your invitation to remain in you, for your invitation to go into our room, close the door, and pray to the Father in the secret place. God, what a privilege that is. What a treasure that is. Sometimes we neglected it. Sometimes we've, we've not made it important. We've not made it a priority. And, and God, we ask you to forgive us for that. Um, we've missed out. But thank you that every day is a new start. Father, thank you that we don't have to walk out of here with a guilt trip. 
because we're loved and you can forgive us, or we can walk out of here with a desire to be with you, to love you, to meet you at the table of inwardness. So help us to meet you there. I don't know how God has spoken to you today, but I know that when God speaks, then he expects you to respond. And so maybe what you need to do is to set a, a, a time and, and a place and a plan for your time alone with God. If that's what you need to do, then, then write it down right where you are or put it in your phone, little note section and say, this is what I'm gonna do. Maybe the most important response for you today is to become a follower of Jesus. You, 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 you're not sure that you can call him father and that you can enjoy his presence. And so today you understand that he's not waiting to be impressed by you, that you don't have to carry around your guilt and your shame, that, that you can come to him because on the cross he died for all your sin, for all your shame. And he wants to forgive you and he wants to give you new life. And he wants you to enjoy life in him. So you can come to him with a repentant heart, recognizing you're a sinner and that, and that you need him as a savior. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Perhaps you need to follow him in believer's baptism. You haven't done so. Or you need to join this church or, or, or you're feeling God calling you to share your faith or to, to, to do something else. Whatever God is calling you to do, this is the time to tell him, God, this is what I want you to do in my life. I know this is what you want, so I want it too. Trust him, commit to him right now where you are. In a moment, we're gonna stand to our feet and, and we're gonna be singing. As we sing, I want you to have the freedom to come and kneel at the front and just tell God how you are surrendering to him, how you're committed to him, how you wanna be with him, how you love him. And if you have a need, maybe you're, you have an illness or a struggle in your life or a spiritual question or struggle or doubt, and you want somebody to pray for you, we're gonna be up here. There's gonna be pastors up here, maybe deacons. And we wanna pray over you so that when, so you don't have to carry that burden when you leave this place. So as we sing, you come. Let's stand together. And as we sing, you come as the Spirit leads you.